That's a great song, Shane. I've never actually heard that. So, did you write it? I did not. <laughs> that would have been awesome, wouldn't it? That would have been free. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. My name is Troy Nesbitt, and I am the director of the Salt Network. And I don't know if you know what that is or not, but if you don't know what that is, you should, because actually you guys are part of the Salt Network. In fact, you're one of the founding charter member parts of the Salt Network. And if you don't know what that is, always before I teach the Bible, and today we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2 together, but the Salt Network is a family of churches that is intentionally bound together to reach the next generation, and primarily by that, we are planting churches on major university campuses across North America and even to the ends of the earth. Although our major focus as a network is planting in major universities in North America. And so you guys actually were birthed out of a church that was planted at Iowa State University. And as you send students to different places when your high schoolers graduate, we hope that you will continue to send them to Salt Network churches. Now they have options. You don't just have to go to Iowa State where they have horrible football. You actually could send them to, the, to Penn State University where we win national championships. It's so much fun for me now to begin to think about I'm a winner all the time, right? <laughs> See? Several weeks ago, I was at University of Missouri at Columbia because we planted a salt company in a church there. It's Anthem Church and Salt Company, and they have a horrible football team. You know, but I didn't care because that same week we had good football teams that were playing as well. Last week I got to teach at Keystone, which is in Ankeny, where they have a salt company and Keystone Church there. And the lead pastor there, Brent Mentor, is a tremendous Sooner fan. And you know what? I didn't care if the Sooners beat the Cyclones anymore just because I don't have to care about that, right? And I knew we were going to lose. Cyclones are going to go down to Norman, Oklahoma. We're going to get thrashed. We're four touchdown underdogs. I'm watching the game. Oklahoma gets the ball. They ram it down our throats. And I thought, who cares? But I really was caring. But then Iowa State began to thrash Oh, you? And I thought, this is going to be amazing because I'm going to Keystone tomorrow and I am going to mock Pastor Brent because he told his kids, I'm going to get you a dog and you can name your dog anything you want as long as it's Boomer or Sooner. So they named the dog Boomer and I said, today you just should call that dog Bummer because... We throttled you yesterday. You know, they thought they were going to be in a BCS bowl, but they're not going to be. Actually... Next week, I get to be at State College, Pennsylvania, and I'm actually going out there early because it's the whiteout game, and it's going to be on SportsCenter. So look at me. I'm going to be in the stadium during the game. If you care, if you don't, who cares? Penn State is playing Michigan. It is going to be a fantastic game, and then I get to preach the gospel to our newest church there, Wellspring Church in uh, Penn State. So be excited about that. And I wear these shirts always when I'm teaching. People say, do you have any other shirts? Well, actually, yes, but I don't wear any other shirts very often because this is the theme of our network. It's the 1002 prayer, one request. And we get this from Jesus because the one thing that Jesus asked his disciples to pray for was that God would send forth labors into the harvest. And he did it in Luke chapter 10, and it's in verse 2. It says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. 
He also did that in a different occasion in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. But it just wouldn't look as good on a t-shirt, would it? He also did it in John chapter 4 when he's talking to the woman at the well and later talking to his disciples. But we felt like this would make the best t-shirt. And we have the salt companies where we're reaching those students on the back in their birth order. And you can see two are still there and we don't have those churches yet. Because next year we're going to be good in basketball because we're going to get Kansas University. And we're going to get basketball and football because we're going to go to University of Wisconsin. And we have those already on the shirts because we already have teams in Ames that are preparing at this point to go. And guys, I want to say to you, now it's getting real for me. I used to be that guy that would go to churches and recruit the best of the best to come be a part of the network. And then we recruited these guys, Rob Warren and, and Ronnie Goble, who wanted to go to plant at University of Wisconsin. And when they got to Cornerstone Church, they looked at our lead worshiper, Jesse Antelman, and they said, now that's the kind of guy that we would want to go with us to plant this church in Wisconsin. And so they recruited him. And he is going to go. Now, the problem with that, it's not a problem at all, but he married my oldest daughter, and she's committed to go with him wherever he goes, and that's not a problem either. I mean, kids leave, right? But now my oldest daughter has three of my five grandsons, and I'm telling you, this church planting thing is getting real for me, and it's been a weepy experience for me. Even this week, I took out my uh, little grandson, Brayden. He's three. We went to Great Plains Pizza on Papa Dates, they call them. And we're having pizza together, and he's eating his pizza that I cut up for him. And I found myself being overcome with emotion, you know. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's not going to know why I'm crying. I've got to stop crying. We're eating pizza here. We're about to have a cookie, you know. But I'm thinking, you know, these moments are going to be less and less for me because I'm not going to be able to spend time with my grandson's because they're part of a vision for reaching the next generation with the gospel. And I hate it and love it at the same time. And I want you guys to know that I believe that 1 John was written with that tone in mind. The Apostle John wrote a gospel. And when he was living with Jesus as a disciple, he was the disciple that was known as the disciple who Jesus loved. And we all know that he was the youngest disciple. And even though they tried to martyr him, he must have been very resilient because he was the one disciple who got to live out his life to a ripe old age and actually die, but always living for the sake of the gospel. And I love First John and Second John and Third John for that matter as well because John later in his years penned these verses and that's the tone in which we get these verses a seasoned older grandpa who is calling everybody associated with his life to live according to the gospel and maybe even tearfully because he knows that it might not mean that they get to have close proximity to him but he's calling them to live a life of the gospel and i love First John, because that's his primary focus, and I love this reality, and so we're going to look at it together. First John chapter 2 is going to be our text this morning, and we're going to begin with my favorite verse, and even though these have been taught already here, I just wanted to start with verse 1 of chapter 2. John writes, my little children, literally beloved, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, and everyone does, right? That's the bad news. Here's the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Who is righteous? Not us. All the righteousness that we have, we get from him. And we have an advocate, the righteous one, that goes to God for us, and I love that. And it says, he is, the big word, propitiation. In other words, he is the full payment for our sins. And not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. So his death was enough to pay for the sins of the whole world. We all know, if we know one verse in the Bible, what John wrote early in his life, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. I'm having a gospel conversation with one of my friends who is not yet understanding the gospel. He's almost 60 years old. He played basketball for Iowa State University. He was one of the most prolific scorers that we ever had. In fact, he went to Europe and he played until he's 40. Maybe you guys know him as Lefty Moore. His name actually is Keith. I just call him Keith. And I was sharing with him the gospel. And I said, Keith, how much sin would a person have to commit until they had committed enough sin to go to hell? He said, well, no one has ever asked me that question before. And I said, well, welcome to a new question of the day. And he said, I don't know. And I said, what if I told you the answer was one? He went, wow. And I said, what if the sin didn't even have to be a bad one? What if it was just like disobedient? And what if the disobedience was eating fruit? Would that be a heinous crime, parents? If your child, you told your child, don't eat the fruit, and then they rebelled against you and ate the fruit, would you kick them out of your house and tell them they could never come back? Isn't that the story of Genesis chapter 3? And I said, what if all of us sin almost all of the time and we've mounted up sin if one was enough and now he's almost 60 years old. I said, what do you think? You think you're gonna go to heaven or hell? And he said, I don't know. And I said, let me just say this for sure. If you're going on your own, I guarantee you without a doubt, you are going to burn in hell. He said, no one's ever said that to me before. I said, well, you know, welcome to someone who wants to tell you the truth. I said, but here's the good news. (laughs) How many sins did Jesus ever commit? Zero. So his death, this verse says, was the payment for our sin. The death that he died, he died for sin once for all, the just, the righteous, for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. But here's what most people don't understand about the gospel. We think that once we embrace that, that we therefore have to become that in order to earn God's approval. And that is a lie. What is John writing? He's writing to believers and he's saying to them, are you still struggling with sin? And here's what every believer who's honest would say, yes, I am. And he's saying, Jesus has got that. So don't lie about it. Actually walk in the light with it. You learn this in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, who's he writing to? Believers? 
that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we actually have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ's Son Our God's Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And as we learn to continually deal with our sin, we learn to have real, authentic fellowship with one another. And it's not a measuring stick to which ones of us are truly in and which ones of us are truly out. Actually, it's a journey that we do together, not based on our own righteousness, but literally based on Jesus Christ the righteous. And I told Lefty, I said, I said, Lefty, how much good would you have to do in your life in order to be able to earn a seat of righteousness before God? And the answer is never enough. And I said, how much bad could you do before Jesus' death and his righteousness wouldn't be good enough for you? And the answer is never enough. So John, at an old man, is trying to say, you know what, the gospel's not about you. It's about Jesus, and he's enough. He died for our sins, one and all. His death was enough. He lived for our righteousness, and it's only his righteousness that matters before God. Your behavior doesn't condition God's response to you. That's to reduce God to being a person. Jesus' behavior guarantees position of righteousness for you if you believe, and that's good news. So here we go. He is appropriation for our sins and not for us only, but also the sins of the whole world. And now my text. And by this we will know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Is he now putting a condition on what he just said was free for all? So how do you know? How do you know that you've come to know him if you keep his commandments? Well, how many? All of them? And what if you break one? Today, this afternoon, what if you're doing it right now? So you don't know him? So are you in or you out? Is that what John is saying? He goes on, keep reading. Oh my goodness, this is gonna get confusing. Whoever says that I know him but does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Well, was it in him or out of him? But whoever, oh good, keeps his word, how much of it? All of it? Seems to be saying that, doesn't it? In him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we will know that we are in him. (laughs) Oh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked and literally be like Jesus. Now, how many of us would be bold enough this morning to say, oh yeah, that's me. I'm just like Jesus. Me, that's me. Well, why wouldn't you say it? Don't you call yourself a Christian? Isn't that a little Christ? Wasn't that the mock nickname that they gave to believers in the first century? But None of us, would we be bold enough to say, I am just like Jesus? So where is that sliding scale? 
Why were you not just like Jesus? Are you not keeping the commandments? The answer is no, you're not. Are you not walking as he walked? The answer is no, you're not. So therefore, we're either out or we're in, and based on that at face value, I'm gonna just declare to all of you, you're out. You're liars. Is that what John is saying here? Do you walk like Jesus? Are you that arrogant to say you actually do? Do you look like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, live like Jesus? Let's go on. Hopefully I'm raising attention in you. Now he says it again, beloved. Hear this from the tone of an old man, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. I love John in this moment. Good on you, John. He said, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, what's the commandment? It would have been nice had he put it in there, right? You see, they say, I'm writing you a new commandment. No, not a new commandment. It's an old commandment that you have. But he's assuming that we know what that commandment is. So I just want you to write in your notes what it is right now. What's the commandment? He's assuming that you know John chapter 13. Keep your finger in 1 John. Flip back to his gospel that he wrote earlier in his life and probably one of the most impactful periods in John's discipleship when he was following Jesus had to be John 13 through 16 where Jesus is about to go to the cross and then when he talks about the Holy Spirit and listen to this we get to John 13 verse 34 and Jesus His words, here's what he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And certainly John was there when the teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus declaratively said to him, you know what it is, what is it? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I see that you have D6 kids here. What is that? Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and these things shall be on your hearts, and you shall press them into the next generation of your children. And then the second one is like it. What is it? The golden rule, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus went on to declare to the disciples a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And he's gonna say in 1 John, there's no greater love than this than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Look at John chapter 15. Look at verse nine. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this has... Greater love has no one than this, than some would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Even look in 1 John. Look with me at 1 John. Several verses in 1 John. Look at chapter 5. We're going to see at the end of this book. And guys, the whole book is a book, so let's, let's do it together. Actually, look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at chapter 3, verse 23. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus and love one another, just as he commanded us. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Okay, so what is that not new but old commandment that John was assuming that they understood? (laughs) To love one another. You say, Pastor Troy, okay, so, so if the commandments are not the commandments and the sin is not how much sin, it's, it's actually to love one another and that's the measure? Yeah, that's it. Because you see, in that culture, in that day, people were being known to say that they love God and at the same time, they hated their brothers and particularly the ones who were saying that they loved God were the Jews, And the ones that they were not loving were the Gentile believers as they were coming into the faith. And they were quite confused about the racial tension that existed even in the church. And they literally called people who were non-Jews dogs. And they literally tried to make Gentiles into Jews in order to accept them into their community. And what was John primarily saying? What is the greatest evidence that you truly love God? He's going to say that in a text. How can you say that you love God who you do not see and you do not love your brother who you see every single day? And how can you say you love God who, by the way, was in the form of Jesus who was a Jew and yet you resent other peoples of other cultures of other places in the world? That is not the church verse 8 again. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I love that. Underline in him, talking about Jesus, and in you, talking about the reality of your faith. So many people use John... (laughs) as a bludgeoning bat for those of us who are trying to walk with Jesus to examine whether they're truly in or not. And yet, what was John saying? He said, I can see Jesus in you. 
I can see Jesus in you. It was in him and it's in you. When you confess your sin, I see Jesus in you. Guys, I was at the 180 retreat this weekend. That's Cornerstone's junior high ministry. I'm a 180 leader, so I have to go with sixth grade boys and eighth grade boys. And the speaker gave a great, compelling opportunity for these young men to respond to the gospel. And one of the boys that I brought, who's from a tremendously broken home, his name is Carvana. I call him Smooth because he is one heck of a dancer, and he has got a smooth tongue. And, and so he was crying during the message, and it was like the Holy Spirit was convicting him of sin. And whenever the speaker said, if anybody wants to just declare their faith in Jesus, stand up where you are right now. And you guys know, if you've ever had this experience, you can't not stand up when the Holy Spirit is jerking you out of his seat. And he was one of the first ones that stood up. And I thought, wow, God's doing a work in his life. And then he just sobbed until the speaker had him come forward. And when he came forward, then they prayed for him. And after he prayed for him, he came back and during the whole last song, he's trying to dry his eyes and eighth grade boys don't cry much so he didn't really know what to do with his emotion and afterwards he's walking with my eighth grade son who wasn't sitting with him in the moment and he said I can't believe something like that made me cry and my son said to him you were crying and he said like a baby and now he's preparing his heart because my son who's an eighth grader is about to mock the other eighth grader who was crying in a church service right So he thought, but instead my son just threw his arms around him and he started celebrating with him. He said, dude, that was God. That was God. Right? The next day, that same kid who had this supernatural encounter with God and he stepped boldly in faith was actually mocking other kids on the retreat. Can you believe that? Yes, Because my friend Carvon didn't become Jesus in that moment. And just because he made a profession of faith that was real and authentic, if we begin to judge him based on his next day performance, we would judge him as an unbeliever just like I would judge you as an unbeliever. I don't have these verses today, but you're gonna get them next week. What John is gonna say is don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, so let's just measure ourselves a little bit right now. Absolutely, if you give less than a tithe of all that you have to the work of the kingdom, you love the world. No question. If you have desires for new things, you are some of the richest of the rich of the world. Ask. Ask these missionaries who live among some of the world's poor. And what do we want? More. So, are you a believer or not a believer? What is John trying to do? Is he trying to give us a litmus test? Or is he saying, no, you know what I see? I see Jesus in you. When you took that step, man, it was God. It was God. And what do you accelerate? You accelerate what you 
celebrate. And we need to be looking for God moments in one another and not be examining one another and seeing if we're in the faith or not, but actually to be looking for opportunities of the reality of the faith in us and to say to one another, no, I see Jesus in you because that's not naturally in you. That's in Jesus. And I see Jesus in you. And John was saying, I see Jesus in you. It was in him and it's in you. Look at verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in Jesus. And there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he walks in the darkness and he doesn't even know where he's going because the darkness has blinded in his eyes. What's the real issue? What's the real question? I know you love God or you probably wouldn't be here. It's your free will choice. Well, some of your parents made you come, so, right? But how much do you love people, really? I'm gonna talk about my wife. She's not here, so I can talk about her freely. Um, I could actually talk about her freely before, uh, before we started this church planting thing. There literally was a group of people my wife hated, and we would talk about it. And I, I kind of was in her boat too. And she would just say, I hate them. That's a Christian woman. Or not, depending on how you read the text. So she's hating these people and I'm hating these people. We'd get around these people and we'd hate them more. And you guys maybe know what I'm talking about. You know the people group is the Hawkeyes. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And then something crazy happened. Bill Finley didn't seem the same talent in my daughter that, that Lisa Bluter did, and Bill Finley didn't offer my daughter a basketball scholarship, but Lisa Bluter did, and Iowa University decided to pay for my daughter's college education. And you know what I decided? I don't hate those people anymore. <laughs> and I started putting on that black and that gold, and I started identifying with them. I didn't go overboard. I just did women's basketball, right? <laughs> But then my wife said something to me that was very profound. She says, isn't it awesome that we don't have to hate those people anymore? Now that's a funny story. It happens to be a true funny story. But doesn't it apply? And isn't that the emphasis of this text and isn't that what John was writing here as an old man looking at the family of God looking at the family that's very broken and messed up and calling us into the light in relationship with God who reconciled us to God and therefore desires to reconcile us to one another? And isn't it the brokenness that we have relationally that actually keeps people from identifying from, with us and the gospel? And didn't John hear Jesus' prayer when he says, oh God, sanctify them in truth, thy word is truth, and help them to be unified as Christians so that the world would know for sure 
that you sent me. And shouldn't the mark of this church be to love one another? And shouldn't the mark of this church be to confess our sins? You see, the reason we don't truly confess the sins that exist in our heart is because we think, if I confess the sin, the church might reject me. The reality is, we're all very broken people. And the only hope that we have in our brokenness is in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, Jesus. And John is calling this church to maturity, and the maturity is seen And as they confess their sins one to another and as they walk in the light and they reveal the reality of their heart, but then it's expressed and most clearly seen to others when they truly walk in love. When a person is primarily identified through their declaration of faith. Wouldn't I be a horrible dad if I conditioned being in my family based on my children's behavior? Up, oh, you're out. Okay, you're acting better. Okay, you're in. Nope, you're out again. Up, oh, in. Out, in. Do you think we'd have a great loving relationship? Why are they in? Because God put them in. Why are you in? Because God put you in. And He didn't do it because of you, He did it because of Him. That's the gospel. And the beauty of the gospel is expressed not primarily in our behavior. The beauty of the gospel is expressed primarily in our behavior toward one another as sinners. I only have time to read the other verses I'm supposed to teach and maybe Matt or Joey or whoever's teaching next week will pick them up and say better things about them. But look what it says, verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one, and the evil one is trying to destroy your life. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Again, he says, and I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Guys, my heart for this church, and I believe the heart of your elders, is that you continue to be light and salt in this community and that you grow in the knowledge of God and your love for him and your love for one another. But don't be confused as to what brings about the reality of the life of the Holy Spirit. It's not the absence of sin. It's the presence of love. Because as holy as you'll ever be, Paul wrote about this, didn't he? Is filthy rags before a holy God. That song we were singing, billions and billions and billions. (laughs) And when you humble yourself before God, it doesn't matter what others have done. They're not outside of God's love. And they shouldn't be outside of yours. And this church will primarily be 
exemplary in this community when it's known by love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Jesus, I pray for this church, I pray for Stonebridge that they would always, always exemplify the truth of the gospel which humbles us and causes us to love you more. Which, when we get it clearly, God, it doesn't condition us to just pretend around one another to not fail because we fail all the time, but it actually gives us the freedom to fail knowing that that's not our desire to be failures. We want to walk with you and walk in love. And God, we know that you've given us the strength and ability to say no to sin and yes to you. And I pray that you would help us to not measure ourselves among ourselves, but to measure ourselves against the goodness and glory of God to which we'll all come up wanting. But then you lift us up and help us to walk in a manner of the gospel as one man contending for the faith contending for the truth in this city. We pray in your name, amen.